1: Right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Garrett Long. We're at the Troon Vineyards Tasting Room in McMinnville. It's January 20th, 2022. Garrett, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Uh, the first question, I know it's not the easiest question for you, but we're gonna start with, why wine? Why
2: wine? <laughs> it's a very broad question. <laughs> um, I found myself uh, to Troon Vineyard and to wine um, as I guess kind of a meandering path um, my start in wine, I suppose, came in my college days. I went to Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington, um, which they said back when I graduated in 2010 that it's going to be the next Napa. And I think for <laughs> more than a dozen years, it's continued to be the next Napa that's yet to really reach its, its fruition as, as stated goal. Um, but as a, as a recent college graduate, I started working in a tasting room for my first summer. It was my first job after college, actually. And I spent most of my time just dipping estate reserve bottles with wax caps in the cold room. And um, by the end of the summer, I was pouring wine up front, which was my first experience with um, wine education and actually better understanding um, was possible with wine. I took about, I suppose, a 10-year Departure from working with wine specifically right after that um, and got into agriculture generally Um, I worked on a couple of different farms in California for the last 10 years and then worked my way back north I grew up in Washington So after working in Southern California for about five years and then attending grad school at UC Davis and then working in Napa I've slowly and progressively taken steps back towards my roots Um, and and ended up in Southern Oregon as of this last year. In August, I started as the Director of Agriculture. Um, I came back around to wine, Um, partly fortuitously. um, We're working with uh, a biodynamic consultant named Andrew Beattie, who I worked with at my very first experience in agriculture um, in Ventura County uh, and starting in 2012. And Andrew has remained a mentor of mine has worked with a lot of biodynamic vineyards and clients over the years. And he was the one who told me about the position at Trune that opened up. So it was a little bit good fortune that I ended up at a winery. Um, My interest and my background in general is is with agriculture. And the stop in Davis was to do my masters in soils and biogeochemistry. So really fell in love with soil science and microbiology and agroecology and those sort of intersections of all these really diverse sciences and things that I grew up passionate Mm -hmm. about, plants and animals and people and the environment and climate and all of them sort of intersected as I saw it in soil science Mm -hmm. and um, and biogeochemistry. So after doing my master's there, um, I became really infatuated with the relationship between soil microorganisms and plants. And then following that all the way up the line, especially when you think about regenerative agriculture and how healthy soils lead to healthy plants, which lead to healthy animals and people who consume them, um, and and ultimately healthy communities, healthy um, you know world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just fascinated by that connection that you know from the micro of microorganisms up to the macro of the entire planet that there's this relationships between health um, that really starts in the soil. So. That was where my interest in agriculture initially came from and to find myself working at a biodynamic vineyard where there is such respect and deference for soil and there's such a clear relationship between the soil microorganisms, taking the native yeast from the grape pumice that we return back to the compost and back to the vineyards um, is just such a clear uh, connection and recirculation and reinvigoration of the whole uh, soil ecology that I am that much more motivated to continue working with wine because that connection between soil and place mm-hmm. is so clear in wine.
1: So tell me about, uh, you mentioned uh, kind of discovering or wine or becoming aware of wine in college, working in a tasting room. Tell me about graduating college. What did you expect your next step to be and What
2: was mm-hmm. your actual next step? Yeah. Uh, well, interestingly, so I studied biology For my undergrad, um, bachelor's degree in biology at a liberal arts school meant that I took a lot of different courses and got exposed to a lot of cool ideas. Um, What I thought going into college was that I wanted to be a veterinarian, and I wanted to work with animals for certain. And then I had a couple of um, summer internships, specifically at zoos, that made me realize that I didn't want to work with animals as much as I was just in love with uh, life sciences and relationships, ecological relationships. As I um, as I got a little older uh, or got further along in my education, uh, I I was a little lost about what I was going to do with biology. I just knew that life sciences really excited me, and going into my senior year, I was a little um, unsure of what I was going to do next. Uh, What ended up being my first job after my sort of summer um, was working for a nonprofit political organizing group called the. Uh, public interest research group and it was actually here in Oregon. I was living in Eugene for a couple months and working as a campus organizer um, and uh, it, was, it was really only through that experience, both the zoo experience and the experience doing campus organizing um, and community organizing that I realized the things that I didn't want to do. And it's, it's advice that I've given to lots of young people thinking about college or next steps or grad school or whatever and I think that those experiences that tell you what you don't want to do are just as valuable as the ones that tell you what you do want to do. And so I had a couple of those experiences during college and, towards, and just after my first job after um, that made me realize what I didn't want to do. So what, uh, what that did bring me to was, was a discovery of agriculture. And I found that through WOOFing, the Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. Um, it's a global network of host organic farmers. Um, who invite oftentimes young people or people of diverse backgrounds who are interested in learning about organic farming to come down and do a work exchange mm-hmm. and you get room and board and education in exchange for hard work and I absolutely fell in love with it. I volunteered for three months on a diversified um, citrus and avocado farm and livestock and we I got there kind of at the ground floor and we grew the vegetable garden and planted you know a hundred varieties of fruit trees and got every kind of farm animal you can imagine and built this diversified, beautiful, um, dynamic, biodynamic um, farm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so, yeah, ultimately that was my experience that directed me toward what I really wanted to do with my degree and it was working in the field with other passionate young people, learning about these ecological relationships and all within the context of you know, the early 2000s, thinking about thinking about climate change and ecological collapse and these things that are, you know, can be very overwhelming, Mm -hmm. um, that led me to want to think about solutions on a global scale. And so I think soil science and just how we manage terrestrial resources uh, uh, became really exciting for me. Mm -hmm. So at that point, that was your kind of introduction to biodynamics and introduction, really introduction to agriculture. What, what, What was your next step at that point? Um, I continued working with that farm for about seven years um, after my three month, three month internship. They hired me to, uh, to direct the whole volunteer program or coordinate the volunteer program. So I was living with the woofers on site. Um, I did that for about the next two and a half years. And I was responsible for, you know, interviewing, hiring, onboarding, sort of indoctrinating all, <laughs> you know, probably a hundred woofers during my couple years there. Um, to teach them about this this uh, this form of agriculture, you know that a lot of people have either not heard of or heard some crazy stuff about cow horns or something. Maybe that's all they really know before coming and through you know again this immersive experience, working the land, making biodynamic preparations, having consultants come in, getting to do everything from animals to orchard work to habitat restoration to gardening. Um, that kind of experience of leading the, the volunteer program or the Woof program there uh, led me or, or helped me understand how to actually teach something. And I think that you, know, um, you can really understand or really prove to yourself that how well you understand something when you have to teach it over and over again, you realize very quickly where the gaps are. <laughs> and so I got to um, have that practice for about two and a half years. Um, teaching people about biodynamics and about farming and and practicing my own skills every step of the way. Um, From there I had the great opportunity to go to grad school and actually research some of the farming practices we were using. Um, And I brought that master's degree and knowledge about soil science back to the farm, um, became the volunteer, or sorry, the research and outreach coordinator. Um, picked up some long-term research threads that I had started actually before grad school built on and then continued for about another two and a half years there. Um, and also on the outreach side, got to lead a bunch of farm tours and have this cool outreach connection with the public. Mm-hmm. Um, there were countless farm tours that I gave uh, with 100 people we would invite, 100 people would buy tickets and come Saturday morning and then Saturday afternoon and then Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. and by the end of the weekend we had guided you know close to 400 people through the farm and given this immersive two-hour farm tour experience and um i think i i felt a sense of pride leaving people feeling like just these saturated sponges of knowledge just they had never encountered this kind of farming system they had never thought about the connection between you know microbial ecology and gut health and planetary health and to actually make these connections and have people experience um, have, have novel experiences through relationships with farm animals and with beautiful wildflower plantings throughout orchards and and all of that um, was really i think impactful and really inspiring for a lot of people and inspiring for me and what might you know feel really exhausting for a lot of people to just lead these two-hour tours and you're on your feet and you're projecting your voice and I would always find myself at the end of these tours just like clamoring for more, like wanting to talk to everybody who's lingering around to chat with me at the end of the tour and I just found that to be, um, I found recognition in that uh, of, of this, is, this is something I'm so passionate about and clearly this is coming through and in, in how it excites me and doesn't exhaust me mm-hmm. in a way that you might expect so I really loved that component of doing outreach and just sharing the really formative experiences and the cool knowledge that I felt I had picked up through farming there as well as at grad school mm-hmm. and being able to share that with with diverse people. It's really cool. What
1: was it for you about biodynamics that, that spoke to you and, and, and kind of inflamed that passion for you? Was there, is there something you can kind of specifically point to and say it's because of this?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the way I, I, I think, I, think I, would, I would say there was two things. One is more broadly, the fact that biodynamics considers a, a holistic approach to agriculture and considers the whole farm as a functioning organism that includes the people, the animals, the plants, the microbes, micro to macro. Um, I think that th- that really speaks to me, um, being able to kind of have that 30,000-foot-up view of a farming system and be able to really look at relationships. And not just look at them, but research them, meditate on them, work with them. Biodynamics, I think, really um, relies on uh, rhythms and relationships, and those rhythms can change with the seasons, with the weather, with the people that are there, with every different aspect that's highly integrated within this really diversified farm organism. Um, Really uh, one of the things that really motivates me about biodynamics is that that complex dynamic relationship between all those different moving parts and those rhythms. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a mentor who described one of the goals, one of the aims of biodynamics and he used this metaphor of, of sitting in your car. and you're listening to some music and maybe you're tapping on the steering wheel to the music and then the rain starts coming down so you turn on your wipers and your wipers are kind of going at a different rhythm then you might be tapping to the music and then and then you know there's a flashing light up ahead the crosswalks flashing and then that's and, and you have all these seemingly different rhythms happening at different times and biodynamics really seeks to notice observe and then take action when those rhythms start to align. There might be that perfect moment where your windshield wipers just line up with the beat, with the flashing, and and the people walking across the street, and it's that moment in which, um, you know, it might be a a prime day to take some sort of action, like harvest your fruit, Mm -hmm. or cultivate the soil, or whatever it might be. Um, So working with those rhythms in a very intentional way Mm -hmm. is one of the greatest, things that biodynamics i think has brought to my life overall and i think that leads into the second part which is which is the practice of biodynamics um really grabs me um i i compare the the preparation work the biodynamic preparations to a practice like a yoga practice or a meditation practice Um, it's something that you can find deeper value in through that practice and that daily rhythm Um, and the preparations you 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 do seasonally, so you know most of them you work with only one time a year. You kind of get that one shot to have that practice, physically working with it. But it gives you the entire year to be thinking about that. Why why did Rudolf Steiner s- select that specific herb? What about the form? What about the relationship between form and function? Why was that specific animal sheath chosen for that preparation? That level of contemplation, uh, I think requires meditation and thought and picture forming in your head, um, these relationships. And so it gives you another perspective or a new angle to really perceive, again, all of these diversified, dynamic, um, interrelated parts of your farm organism and to, and to bring rhythm and practice into what is otherwise, already for me, a, a very um, nourishing and sustaining practice of growing food you know, healthy, organic, regenerative uh, food for my community, Mm -hmm. for the people who I'm living with, working with, sharing knowledge with, the folks who we meet at the farmer's market, you know. uh, I, I guess I wouldn't want it to go unsaid that that's a real primary motivator for why I'm just in agriculture in general. Yes, carbon sequestration and all that we, all the potential that soil and regenerative farming and biodynamic farming, uh, present for these big global issues is extremely exciting, but so is actually just sharing a really nourishing, healthy meal with community, um, it's something that really motivates me and biodynamics gives you again this, this, this angle to really more thoroughly and thoughtfully and intentionally enjoy those relationships.
1: So clearly, despite despite your enthusiasm and passion for this, clearly you've run into a skeptic or two. I imagine in your time. So tell me about sure. handling skepticism bi- about about and and how you how you've kind of how you've dealt with it and, and, and how you respond to it. Sure.
2: So, I definitely have encountered a lot of skeptics. You know, they weren't necessarily the, the one of those hundred people who are coming out on the farm tours. There were a few naysayers for sure. Um, but for the most part, I think a lot of people express skepticism or criticism in just a conversation. Um, the way that I've, that I've handled it is first to get educated myself. Um, a protege of Rudolf Steiner, who founded biodynamics and first described it in a series of lectures, one of his uh, most important proteges in terms of bringing biodynamics to the U.S. was Aaron Fried Pfeiffer who landed in New York and set up a really great, um, now it's called the Pfeiffer Center in his name, in upstate New York. And Pfeiffer was a young man who Steiner encouraged to go seek out classic academic education, your traditional college education of weight, number, measure, go get that, and then bring that knowledge and that information and that ability to conduct experiments and analyze observations. Um, through a lens of of spiritual science, which I I think is, again, that novel part of what Steiner brings to, or even what biodynamics brings to agriculture in general, is that etheric, spiritual, kind of intangible component. Um, And so I I like to think that I took a similar path as Pfeiffer. I came to a biodynamic farm. I absolutely fell in love with caring for the animals, for planting seeds, for getting to plant a fruit tree and then five years later eat the most amazing nectarine you've ever had off of that fruit tree. Um, that, that cyclical experience and that practice of farming made me fall in love with a biodynamic approach in general. And when I went to UC Davis and brought and proposed some research uh, ideas um, to my ed- advisor, um, about about researching various aspects of biodynamics, you know, would it, it, do the preparations impact compost making and, and what, you know, aspects of that. Um, I, I faced similar skepticism from the academic community who... Um, oftentimes, just uh, conflated, organics and biodynamics is the same thing. Oh yeah, biodynamics is is organic agriculture. There's just that thing about cow horns. It's like it doesn't actually make it anything different. That's just something that, that biodynamic farmers do to make them feel make themselves feel better or something like that. It was was often just it was just sort of written off as there's nothing different than organic, um, and so. I ended up not studying biodynamics specifically for my master's research. I looked at the impacts of compost tea, which is another one of the practices that we are using um, that's not specifically related to biodynamics, um, but is a form of biological farming or a practice within biological farming. Um, so you know, to, to your initial question of, of how have I dealt with that skepticism, the first thing is to go get educated and, and become informed. Both in terms of the traditional understanding of agriculture, of soil science, of these again these relationships we keep talking about, um, but to view it with openness as to um, what benefit there may be to look beyond just weight, measure, and number. You know, what does spirituality bring to your farm field, and? Coincidentally, wearing a shirt uh, as an undershirt here, oops, I'm sorry, I just touched the mic, Um, that says, Keep the culture in agriculture. And I looked up the root of agriculture and I wanted to understand where it comes from. And I found it really interesting. Cult means, uh, you know, you think of like a religious cult, but essentially, a cult is, um, is, is a shared set of values or, or reverence for something, an idea, a person, something like that. Um, and so a culture is you know a, a, a community of people who agree upon a certain set of values, right? Um, the root ag in Latin means field. And so the put together agriculture means almost to revere the field. Mm-hmm to have deference or respect for the field. And I think in our industrialized, commercialized, conventional farming systems, there's not such reverence for the field, for the life, for the relationship between microbes and plants and, and all of the other you know um, global cycles of carbon and weather and water and these flows that are so dynamic in a farm field. Um, to me, I found such respect um, through the practice of being very hands-on by actually stepping off the tractor, getting down off of your horse and walking your field. There's a saying that the the, the, um, the farmer or uh, the best fertilizer is a farmer's footsteps. And I take that to mean that actually getting down there and having communication with your plants, actually seeing them and, and addressing issues that you might see instead of just driving past it and not noticing because of the, you know, the diesel fumes and the sound of the tractor—you might not notice or have that connection with that plant or that field or that or your farm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I—I I deal with skepticism by sharing the value that I've found in it, in the practice, in the spiritual practice, in the recognition of these rhythms, in the potential to build and layer off of those rhythms and build the complexity and build the relationships. And there's so many cool examples that I've seen of how a system can take three, four, five, 10 years to really get going. But once that flywheel starts spinning, it spins faster and faster, and it spins on its own and allows the farmer to really be able to step back. And what was once a a pest infestation that you felt you had to immediately react and respond and spray and, and kill the pest. Um, biodynamics has taught me the lesson that if you just wait a beat, that nature will often provide the pest suppression. The, the beneficial insects, the predators will come in, and and you don't have to spray that that you know toxic pesticide that has all of this collateral impact on beneficial insects. Um, yeah, so I, I hope it doesn't feel like I'm avoiding the question. I think I think. Um, the way that I deal with skepticism is just to share my own value and what I've learned and come to appreciate, both in a, a traditional academic sense and more of a spiritual practice of farming. And, and I found good receptivity when I share my own experience with people and encourage them to get out there and put their hands in the soil. Um just a really cool study several years ago that found that there are actually bacteria in the soil that help, that, that uh, produce dopamine, or, or it stimulate our body to produce dopamine. And that there is a true relationship that gardening really does provide therapy, it provides happiness. And little did we know that there was an actual biological basis to that. It, it is another life form in the soil that we breathe in that stimulates this dopamine release, which I think is just so cool. And, I, and so I just, I always encourage the skeptics to just get out there and try it and maybe suspend their disbelief. <laughs> um, and, and they'll get some free therapy out of it and maybe feel inspired to um, integrate some of these positive practices in their own life. Mm-hmm. So, you, tell me about
1: your your time at, you mentioned kind of going back to UC Davis and, and, and bio biogeochemistry which I did not realize until doing questions for this was was a thing. <laughs> uh, so f- f- describe biogeochemistry for us and and, and sure. what what the studies were like and tell me about you mentioned kind of your focus there but tell me about some of the some of the takeaways for you from your from your higher education.
2: Sure. So biogeochemistry of course is just slamming together those three different sciences that stand on their own. You know, somebody can get a master's degree or a PhD in any of those topics specifically. Um, biogeochemistry is, s- in, in, in a simplistic way, just another name for soil science. Um, and the reason I, I think why that is the name of the program at UC Davis is the, uh, incorporates the acknowledgement of biology, soil is very much alive, you know, there's more living organisms in a handful of living soil than there are people on the planet, which is staggering to most people. So the biology is very much in soil. The chemistry involves all of the biotic and abiotic chemical reactions. Um, There's an incredible complexity of elements, molecules, life forms energy flows, all of this, which incorporates more of soil physics, which is a, a course that I took during my degree. Um, and 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 then to combine that with geology, which is really an understanding of the parent material or the rocks that broke down, were broken down um, to form soil, and to be, essentially, that support system, that source of nutrition and minerals for plants and microbes and everything that Feeds and builds off of soil, um, so biogeochemistry is the intersection of all of those different components of soil. And like I said, that doesn't even consider physics. It doesn't consider specifically microbiology, but just all of the biology the tr- from the trees down to the smallest microbes, right? Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was again, it was, it was. Uh, if there's not a theme here of, of Noticing all of these relationships, these intersections, these connections um, that really inspired me about soil and made me fall in love with soil. A lot of that started with the recognition that it's actually alive, and I could feel like my biology degree is very relevant. You know, my four year <laughs> degree is, is actually a critical component of what sets soil apart from dirt, it is alive, right? Um, I learned a ton during my master's. Program Um, and it was very different than what I learned on the farm, right? I learned very practical skills, how to start and how to sow seeds and transplant that and weed it and harvest it and prepare it for market or for a meal, you know, from from seed to your plate. I I learned how to grow food, raise animals humanely and with respect um, and how farming can can again support a a community and support wellness and health um, through sharing that experience what i learned in in my graduate program is a lot of the the technical knowledge you know it's 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 uh, it's like you imagine in a in a uh, graduate degree science program it's reading a lot of papers and coming to an appreciation for the level of rigor that goes into every publication. You know, what it took for me to write my master's thesis gave me such respect for every, you know, the, the finding of a specific paper might seem so narrow and building off of the whole body of science, you know, standing on the shoulder of giants that came before you. And every publication could just feel incremental. But having, again, just having that practice, having that experience of writing a thesis gave me such respect for, the integrity that is um, involved in statistical analysis, in in accurately representing your experiment and your findings, even if there was an outcome that you didn't expect or that you weren't looking for. Um, So I I think, again, it, it made sense to me why Steiner recommended to Pfeiffer to get the, the theoretical knowledge and a really strong foundation in education and then build off of that with the practice with the spirituality and I think for me grad school really represented that opportunity.
1: When you chose that program and chose that time to, to do it did you have a, a, an outcome in mind did you did you do it then and, and with uh, I want to do this when I graduate kind of thing mm-hmm. or was it was it a different a different kind of path for you
2: It's a good question too I, I did know. I, I had committed to go back to that farm. Um, they supported me in grad school, and I did, you know, committed to um, go back and, and, and work as the research and outreach coordinator. So I knew initially that I was going to have this opportunity to come back to this place where I had fallen in love with biodynamics, with soil science, with farming, uh, where I'd found community and, and had such an incredibly formative experience. Um, So I knew that I was gonna do that, and I knew I was gonna do that for a couple of years, for sure. Um, I think I I I had the perspective um, that I would follow in some of my mentor's footsteps and become a consultant. Um, There were three gentlemen in particular who worked at this farm um, who were all consultants on different aspects of it, and Andrew, I mentioned earlier, has continued to be a mentor for me and um, actually brought me to Troon Vineyard. Um, another one of the gentlemen actually passed away when I moved up to Davis. I attended his memorial in Sonoma County um, right at kind of the middle, the midpoint of my experience there. And, um, and that, that loss really impacted me. And I felt like um, I had lost a mentor who had really inspired me and led me to that path, although he, he recommended that if I wanted to learn about biodynamic farming I should just farm, I don't need to go to grad school for that. <laughs> so despite um, taking a different path from his recommendation, uh, I, I felt that I wanted to really follow in Alan's footsteps one day. Um, and so I'm, I'm, working, I'm working toward that, I still would like to be a mentor to other farmers to other folks who are just getting into this or want to transition to biodynamics or regenerative practices. Um, But I'm I'm still practicing myself, you know? I'm the director of agriculture at Troon and I have the opportunity to coordinate with the vineyard team, with the winemakers, or the whole cellar staff, with the tasting room staff, um, with our viticulture and uh, vineyard management company. And I get to integrate with all of these different role players on the vineyard to create this diversified farming system um, that to me is is this continuous education. Every day I'm experiencing new challenges, new opportunities, and I'm doing so now in a context in Southern Oregon, which is so different than Southern California and so different than Davis and Napa. And there's really great opportunity to continue exploring the same relevant practices and principles of biodynamics and apply them to a different context. In this case, a vineyard in the Siskiyou Mountains in Southern Oregon. Um, Yeah, so I'd still like to do that. (laughs) Well, I'm curious about that. You
1: you had quite a bit of experience in, in biodynamics and regenerative agriculture and various agricultural systems. Uh, finding a vineyard even though you, you, have, you haven't been there terribly long I know still but mm-hmm. tell me about the what's different what's unique about vineyard work versus other things you would worked in and what were the what, what did you have to learn what were the knowledge yeah. gaps for
2: you to get in into the job or to get to get comfortable in the job yeah yeah the, the first thing that immediately comes to mind is that uh, a vineyard and the final product of wine presents such an obvious uh, representation of place or sense of place or, or terroir, um, that to me is so profoundly apparent when you enjoy a glass of wine or, or maybe don't enjoy a glass of wine. Um, but I think when you don't enjoy it, it, it might not be because it's representing a sense of place that you don't like, but rather more about the winemaking style that you don't like. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, I think I I was really attracted to a vineyard setting for that reason, Um, being a soil scientist and appreciating the complexity of the soil types that we have at Troon, from these granitic loams to these really heavy clays. Um, You know, we've got four main soil types, probably six or seven different soil series. It's a pretty complex vineyard for 100 acres, and so it represents a cool challenge, I think, And, you know, I came in here uh, four years after a a very ambitious replanting project was undertaken. And so a lot of the decisions made by Craig, the general manager and Nate, the winemaker, uh, Jason, the viticulturalist, they had already schemed up the best varieties, the position of the vineyards, their aspect relative to the sun um, and what soil type they would be planted on. A lot of that complexity had already been sorted out in terms of the varietals that we were going to grow. When I first came on the team, um, one of the owners described me or introduced me as, as Garrett. He takes care of everything between the vines, which is taken very literally. Um, yeah, I don't have a background in viticulture. I, I think that's one of the gaps that I've needed to shore up is, is really relying on the folks there and, and our viticulture list um, to, to teach me about the specifics of grape growing. Um, and about wine grapes specifically and trellis systems and all of that. But, um, but I think what, what's, what's really relevant, like I said, about the practices and principles that remain true regardless of the context, the practices that we're using, things like no-till, agriculture, cover crops, integrating animals, trying to maximize biodiversity, all of these things that are very primary tenants of biodynamic agriculture and regenerative agriculture, when you add in that social component too, which is a part of our regenerative certification, and really start to look at the community structure and start to think about um, well-being and welfare—not just of animals, but of your team—these mm-hmm. um, these are these are things that that hold true and are important in any sort of um, regenerative or biodynamic context. Um, so you know geeking out on the soil uh, complexity there really led me to to develop and especially as I arrived just before harvest and got to experience not just wines from Troon, but a whole plethora of different wines different varietals from different regions old world new world uh, it's a cool season grape, warm season you know um, all of this exposure that I received and education that I received um, from the teammates, my teammates at Truon, really led me to appreciate that wine can so perfectly represent place, soil type, climate. Um, and, and as I uh, was inspired by Craig very recently to to bring in that social component as an aspect of terroir. I've always thought of it as oh this is this is like soil and climate and these like non-living things that are presented in the complexity of a wine, and Craig actually introduced me to the idea that that the social component or the culture is very much a part of terroir as well, and I just think that that um, is it's just just so apparent to me and so true, um, and such a clear expression in wine more so than you know an avocado or a lemon or a tomato can be. Although those, you know, you you can of course have that same level of nuance in um, a really great heirloom tomato, but you might not know that it's from Burgundy in a way that you can know that wine is from, you know, the Applegate Valley, Oregon. So when, when you were hired, tell me what you understood your
1: role to be, uh, what you, thought, what you were, thought you were getting into, and how much of
2: that has been what you've actually gotten into? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the role's definitely evolving, and I think a lot of it is, a, is, is in relation to these seasonal rhythms. Um, something that was true for me in agriculture in California is there's not really a down season. There's not a winter time, um, but I think biodynamics provides this lens. And I think just in general, in in cooler northern climates, there is a there is a down season during the winter. There's a period of reflection and contemplation. How did this year go? There's that that period of planning for next season. What am I going to do different? You know. Um, what new challenges am I going to take on? Um, what new layers of complexity are we going to add in here? Are we going to breed the sheep this year? Are we going to double, you know, bring in another chicken coop or build another chicken coop? You know, what, what uh that period of reflection, I think, can be really important. And it wasn't anything that was ever a part of my first 10 years of experience in agriculture. Um, so one is I've, I've really appreciated how the seasonal rhythms, especially these post-harvest rhythms, which I don't have to tell you, the harvest season can be very um, uh, both exciting and exhausting, right? Long hours. um, But to come out the other side of that and have the whole cellar full of barrels of wine um, and be able to share in that final celebratory harvest dinner with everyone. Um, that, that sense of accomplishment is really motivating, and how that can lead into this winter period of reflection um, has has been really um, enlightening in, in a way that makes me feel more balanced and prepared to enter into this next season. Um, my job description um, has panned out more or less how I expected. Um, I've repeated often what Brian had said about Garrett takes care of everything between the vines because I think as general as that is, it's accurate. Um, you know, I'm helping to make compost and running. Uh, composting is is one of the most critical things that we're doing. Admittedly, I'm biased from the soil microorganism perspective and seeing how important that is. Um, composting is, is just incredibly um, relevant to what we're doing. So from composting and cover cropping, um, managing our sheep and our chickens, maybe one day cows, as the farm continues to grow and diversify, Um, as well as all of the wildlife. The birds, you know, were were actively this winter time during this slow season. Our vineyard crew, which we keep on staff year-round and provide, you know, year-round employment and benefits. Um, The guys have shifted over to making owl boxes, barn owl boxes and western bluebird boxes to attract wildlife into our farm. Um, Of course, there's all kinds of mammals and rodents are often perceived as pests in vineyard systems or on farms, uh, which are very much a part of it. You know, there's so much diversity with the animal systems that whether it's the perspective from livestock and poultry or from wildlife and habitat restoration, um, there's a real uh, integration of animals that I find really inspiring. That's a clear part of my job that has come to fruition as we uh, do more rotational grazing and we'll continue to expand um, the areas of the farm that the animals are grazing, which includes the vineyards this winter time and will include other areas grazing down cover crops, mowing down our hay field after we harvest it. Um, it's all very exciting future of the, of the livestock program at Troon. Um, and then, and then the, the part of it that I know is coming that really speaks to my background um, at Davis is, is along soil science and soil testing. Um, you know, there's a really comprehensive soil study done back when, um, when the new owners purchased Troon. and in 2017 a really comprehensive soil study dug 75 backhoe pits, analyzed the soil and that was a part of deciding where to plant and when and what varietals and all of that. Um, and we're going to follow up this spring and do another comprehensive study. We're not going to dig 75 backhoe pits, but we've got about 20 sites that are the same GPS coordinates of when um, we sampled those spots back in 2017. And we're going to follow up and essentially take a baseline or set up a baseline study that will become a long term soil health monitoring program um, that incorporates not just the chemical measures and the nutrients and the minerals that the plants are um, accessing, but these other biological and soil health Components, mm-hmm. um, metrics of, of soil health. Um, so some of that is 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 a requirement of our certification, and some of that is our desire in house to be able to better understand the complexities and the relationships between our farming practices, between the quality of the wine grapes, between the quality and the chemistry, and the quality of the wine and the whole experience. And I think to actually make that data-driven mm-hmm. is one of the unique things about Troon. We're mm-hmm. very much through and through a biodynamic farm, but we do so from a place of you know, academics and scientific rigor and, and, that, and that upcoming soil study um, will be a launch pad for um, a new uh, understanding potentially of how our practices have influenced these measures.
1: I'm curious from your perspective what will how will you be gauging success what what will what will you what, what will show up in the process and in the, the farm and the wine and the grapes that you will have deemed that your
2: your work is successful yeah yeah i I think um, first of all a measure of success is is getting better every year um, even incremental change um, is so important and those measures specifically, some of the things that I care about, are, are organic matter or carbon in the soil. Um, there's a very distinct relationship between organic matter and water holding capacity of soil, and as we increase organic matter, we're increasing our ability to both infiltrate water and and create the sponge that is the soil to hold onto water and make that accessible to the plants throughout the, the dry season in the summer. Um, so first and foremost, I think, I think soil carbon is, is a critical measure of success, of health in the whole system. Um, and, and there are some direct ways, like I said, with water holding capacity, and then there are some indirect ways that I think we can uh, associate soil organic matter with success mm-hmm. or um, you know, a, a pleasurable glass of wine. Um, I think some of those ways look like the example I used earlier of the pest infestation, and how you can reduce the number of sprays, reduce the inputs into your farm, reduce your spending on buying those materials to spray, and instead you have invested your time and energy, hopefully in advance, in building those bird boxes, having those bluebirds around to come and eat those leafhoppers when they show up in mass. Um, that it's it's a it's it's a it's a it requires a transition of your mindset when you are faced with a problem, which is every day on a farm, a complex farm, it's a new thing every day, right? And you know, one solution that's been presented and has actually been taught in our in our ag schools is is to spray, it's to suppress, it's to kill. And I think biodynamics presents this alternative to what can how can I set up the ecosystem to remain in balance, even when it seems out of balance with a pest infestation or a disease spreading throughout the orchard. And I think diversity is such a critical part of that. Um, We're we're far from a monocrop, but we do have 50 acres of grapes. Um, which is half the total acreage of the whole farm. And if there were a disease, like, you know, historically red blotch has been a major problem and lots of other fungal diseases in addition to the virus. Um, And and those diseases can spread throughout to monoculture. And again, biodynamics presents an opportunity to integrate other plants, animals to help suppress that, wildlife to help keep things in balance, and diverse soil ecology Mm -hmm that helps prevent and suppress some of those pathogens in the first place. Um, I think I lost the, the thread. Oh, no, it's,
1: I, was, I have a good follow-up for you. So tell me about from, tell me about your, your wine, appreciation of wine itself. Yeah. So you, you, you have these measures of success yeah. in the soil and the plants and the fruits. Um, Tell me about how that translates into into the wine and and how much Mm. How much appreciation of wine you have to have to understand that to see the to see the progress. Yeah
2: Yeah, Um, I think what I want to share is that idea of Doing less maybe or doing doing differently, you know, I think I think Counter to that um, You know counter to the idea that's often taught and and, and lectured upon it at these schools is do X and if you consider an alternative like setting up the ecosystem then you know maybe it's costing you a similar amount but rather than buying the material and buying the diesel for your tractor to spray you are instead investing in a worker to go out and to build these bird boxes or to um, you know, plant wildflowers to attract beneficial insects, or um, you know, any number of these beneficial practices. You're redirecting your resources, both financial and energetic and human, all of these forms of capital that you can invest in your farm, um, and you're investing in setting up this ecosystem that can, once that flywheel is spinning, essentially take care of itself and allow you to, to step back and not be so hands-on. Um, in time as these systems get set up and become more balanced and more self-sustaining the they do require fewer inputs less water um you know fewer financial resources less investment in importing whatever it might be compost or fertilizers or or inputs um and i think that they can start to make a lot more financial sense uh in time after that three five year transition so I think a measure of success as, you know, potentially lazy maybe as it sounds, but being able to do less, less involvement, less hands-on, less struggle with the day-to-day challenges I think is a measure of success. Because what I think that really allows you to do is to then focus on other aspects of your life. What about your family? What about your own professional development or your education? Um, You know, what about volunteering or contributing to a community effort? You know, it's, it's hard for farmers to find any amount of free time, I think, but I think being able to set up a system that is able to support itself, both financially, biologically, and hopefully nourish you and your family and your community, that, that hopefully allows you to redirect some of those energetic resources into other meaningful parts of your life, and I think that's a real measure of success. Can you taste that in the wine? I think absolutely. <laughs> I, think, I think that pleasurable experience is uh, of, of sharing, again, community and healthy food and great ideas hopefully over conversation or a meal is only elevated by a glass of wine that is, again, representative of that place, of that intention, of that idealism. I think that it that was required to grow that, and I have such pride, especially as we made it post-harvest into the holiday season, sharing all of these trune wines with my family has been such um, uh, uh, an exciting and beautiful way for me to share these things that I'm so passionate about with in a way that it really translates when you get to taste natural wines, these low intervention wines. Um, And so I think that that whole kind of do less or do nothing mentality, if, if that can succeed in the field, as I'm describing, and eventually in the cellar as well, and in the winemaking process, if you're able to do less and just let the natural populations, natural yeast, ferment in a way that your grape chemistry is great and your microbiology is great and allow you as a winemaker to be able to step back and just let that process happen naturally, um, I think that's a similar measure of success. Yeah. I
1: think we pause. Christina? Would you mind grabbing the keys and moving the car, just so we don't get? It's in the very front pouch of the backpack. Thank you. I just realized something that popped into my head. Yeah, no worries. Um, I mean, you, a word you've used a lot is in, intentional. Yeah. Um, I and mean, we hear that a lot when we talk to bi- biodynamic farmers or, or um, grape growers. I'm curious, intentional to you, what, what does it mean? Why is it important?
2: Yeah. Well, I think it kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier about having reverence. For the field, um, I think a farmer who respects life and understands that a seed is a is a little powerful packet of life, that when planted into a context of healthy soil and the right water and the right temperature, at the right time of year, that um, that that you can create that you can create not just calories to feed to feed the world, mm-hmm. as is often repeated, but to really nourish yourself, your community, and the world. Um, I think requires a certain perspective that, um, that, that, that life, that you have respect for life. Um, I think that's, that's uh, clearly demonstrated in, in reducing or eliminating the use of pesticides and fungicides and these biocides, these kind of broad spectrum uh, materials that are designed to be targeted towards certain pests on certain crops but oftentimes have total collateral damage on all these other beneficial role players. And we've seen that again and again um, in in systems. To me, the intention behind that is to try to grow more food and make it make sense for your bottom line. And I can understand why that's an attractive uh, concept. Um, But I I think that when you consider the collateral damage, I can't morally uh, find alignment with using those kinds of like products that are ultimately designed to end life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I learned a lesson from one of my other mentors. He used this this form of martial arts called Aikido um, as a metaphor for, you know, again, all those daily problems and those new challenges that arise on a farm are these things that can feel very antagonistic. And you as a farmer, you have to fight them off and you have to beat them down and you have to dominate and win and and as I understand it and I'm not a practitioner of Aikido, but as I understand it one of the ideas is to redirect energy against your opponent and to rather than see these things as antagonistic and something that you have to fight against to see to focus your energy on things that are going to create life on setting up a context that are going to support healthy plants or bring in wildlife or um, you know, provide great opportunities for local people um, to work and make and livelihoods, and um, I think that that um, those are those are again measures of success. I think that, um, that that require a certain deference for the system, a certain intentionality with what you're trying to do. Um, and I think that by perceiving the farm as this holistic organism and seeing these relationships, your values by necessity have to rise above, and yes, they include your bottom line and your financial stability, but they, you know, sort of in nature have to rise above simply that. Hmm. Um, so I think intentionality finds form in biodynamics in a lot of different ways, but I think. Um, a lot of that is rooted in just deference, sort of um, the, keeping the culture and agriculture. <laughs> Can't say it any better than my shirt does.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm curious, from your perspective, uh, still relative newcomer to the Oregon wine industry, what, uh, from your perspective, what do you see in the uh, in the industry as a general, in at the <laughs> mm-hmm. in the industry in general. Um, as the, uh, how are the farming practices? How, how is the biodynamic scene here? How is the organic scene, regenerative yeah. scene? What have you seen so
2: far and what are your kind of hopes for the future of it? Yeah, yeah, I, um, I'm really enthusiastic about the, the regional biodynamic community that exists here. Um, generally on the west coast, I think California and Oregon are really, really strong hubs of biodynamic practitioners. There's lots of regional meetings and Um, opportunities for folks to get together and make the preparations and teach and bring on the next generation of biodynamic practitioners is really strong in Oregon Um, especially in the Willamette Valley Um, I think there's a real opportunity for Troon to serve as a a hub for southern Oregon biodynamics Um, but in general uh, my perception is that there are probably more biodynamic vineyards and more biodynamic farms throughout, especially Oregon and California, but also in Washington as well, than there are almost anywhere else in the US. There are some other hubs for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a really high level of integration and knowledge sharing out west here that's really encouraging. Um, on, my, on my drive up here today, I actually got a call from one of our neighbors who I met just yesterday he came over for a meeting in our tasting room, um, and he called me to ask about biodynamic certification and about how to uh, navigate certain steps. And, and he had just had a call with with, uh, with Demeter, the certifying body, and had some follow-up questions about how we navigate certain challenges. And you know, I think that, that at Troon, we'd really want to serve transparently as a resource of information for our neighbors, for our region, for other vineyards no matter your context if we can if we can demonstrate how it can make sense in a in a southern Oregon context mm-hmm. and we can make those mistakes and hopefully save you from making those mistakes as well then you know we want to share that knowledge we don't want to keep that close to the chest I think there's no real benefit of having other people struggle through the same challenges instead sharing that knowledge sharing is so important and, um, and again I think it's just a natural um, part of biodynamics is that there's not so much competition, I think, as there is, or at least perception of competition that I pick up from in other, maybe other crops or other growing regions, um, where there's, there is much more proprietary information and guardedness. Um, I don't feel that in the Oregon wine community at all. I've been very warmly received on a number of vineyards that I've visited, and we've similarly hosted and given tours and tastings to all kinds of other folks who have who are really interested in coming out and learning about biodynamics or learning about the new directions that Truuna is going, mm-hmm. and um, and I, yeah, I just feel this warmth and this this receptivity to what we're doing, and I can just say also from the soil science side as well. I've never heard soil be such a buzzword until I like happened upon this thing that I fell in love with, and all of a sudden, you know, there's there's documentaries, and there's the Biggest Little Farm, and there's Kiss the Ground, and there's you know uh, all of the, the Symphony of the Soil. There's all of these documentaries that have really put the spotlight on soil, and in fact, the United Nations uh, had uh, pronounced or uh, announced twenty. 15 as the International Year of Soils. It was my first year in grad school, and it was so cool to have a global spotlight that felt very aligned with the time. That I was like, well, I love this too. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> like I, now, I can, now I get to be you know the preacher of the pulpit talking about this stuff that I find really enthusiastic, and there's and there's an enthusiastic audience to to hear it. So um, you know, there's there's all of the the negative. Uh, things the climate change loss of biodiversity um, drought wildfires there's all of these issues that um, to me are so clearly related or or, or so clearly have solutions in agriculture and how we manage our farms and how we manage um, soil carbon and how we try to sequester it um, through our practices that I I think we're, we're at this real watershed moment where as more farms and farmers are, are receptive to this and there's more of a spotlight and there's more opportunity through documentaries, through social media, through wine archives, <laughs> you know, that, that there's more opportunities for people to learn about this. There's also more workshops and education. There's more interest within the universities and academia to be studying these topics. Um, yeah, there's, there's a there's a real we're really poised, I think, for growth. More <laughs> biodynamic farms, more regenerative farms, and more, regardless of whether you're certified or not, just more carbon in the soil, and that's only going to benefit the planet. Mm-hmm.
1: So obviously, in the, the years the archive has been around and documenting the organic wine industry, we've, we've seen a huge growth in biodynamics within the industry, specifically, and a huge, um, obviously, it's become much more popularly known and, and understood. So. As you look ahead for the biodynamics in the coming years and, and decades, what yeah. are the next big milestones for you in terms of uh, acceptance, in terms of success, and uh, what what are you looking forward to from it, from from biodynamics yeah. or regenerative agriculture?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the first thing that I think um, that I'm looking forward to is to celebrate the hundredth anniversary of. Rudolf Steiner's lecture, the agriculture course, that he gave in 1924. So we're fast approaching the 100-year, the centennial celebration of the introduction of biodynamics. I think that will be a milestone in itself, especially in recognizing the growth in, that, in this sector um, in the last couple of decades. Um, so I am excited about that. It, it feels nicely aligned that Truna is approaching our 50th anniversary, just two years before the centennial of biodynamics. It feels, again, appropriately aligned at kind of right place, right time that I find myself um, and very enthusiastic to engage in you know, regional gatherings or maybe a national gathering and, and actually collaborate with some other practitioners to, um, to host an event and a celebration. Um, so that's one thing I'm really looking forward to. Um, Along those lines, um, are creating regional groups or strengthening existing regional groups of biodynamic hubs, um, particularly in Oregon. Um, I, in addition to farming, I also sit on a nonprofit board for the Josephine Porter Institute, which is a nonprofit that is um, supporting uh, biodynamic education and research, particularly around prep making, with the mission to heal the planet, and. Um, that we're we're based in Floyd, Virginia, and there's a real um, opportunity to create a West Coast hub, a, a Texas or a South hub, and, and create all of these regional groups um, using the um, sort of the playbook that JPI has set up um, back in Virginia um, as being a gathering place where people can come, you know, take workshops, get educated, go through that practice of prep making hopefully bring that back to their own communities or their own farms and integrate that, you know, uh, again for me, very formative practice of, of prep making. Um, so that's another thing I'm really excited about is, is the role that JPI can, can play in strengthening those regional hubs. I think that's a direction that biodynamics is going. and It's gonna really help um, not just create more biodynamic farms and farmers, but um, hopefully create a better understanding um, for the wider community I think that's one thing that that this wine bar here on Third Street in McMinnville is doing is is creating an opportunity through you know the displays, the education that we have on the walls, as well as the wine educators here, to be able to help people who may not know the first thing about biodynamics start to develop an appreciation. I just heard the other day that Montenora, another biodynamic estate, is also building a, a wine um, bar here on Third Street on the other end as well. So. Um, I think that's great. You know, Maybe it could be seen as two competition of two biodynamic wine bars, but to me, because of the collaborative nature of biodynamics, I think that's only better for biodynamics. That's going to um, only contribute to a better understanding and appreciation um, for this unique sector of wine. Um, and then uh, the last thing. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> I feel like there's one other thing I was really excited about for the future of biodynamics. Maybe it, it'll come to me. If it
1: comes back, yeah, i feel free to pop it in. That's, that'll be kind of cool, having biodynamic bookends here on 3rd Street. I like that. That's really nice. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to Truon specifically, tell me about uh, future. you talked about some of the projects you're working on already. I know you're not even, barely even got your feet wet. <laughs> yep. What are you looking forward to um, sort of uh,
2: from your role and, and for the yeah. future of the, of the business in general? Yeah. Um, there's, there's several things. Um, I would say uh, first and foremost and, and very uh, relevant to timing, we just had you know, a budget meeting where we really planned the, the whole 2022 season and integra- expanding the whole vegetable garden production up to two acres is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, we just bred our sheep, so we're going to have um, hopefully another dozen or so lambs born in May. I'm really excited for the expansion of the livestock program and for the chickens, too. Um, but I think in addition to just growing the farm in terms of the products that we offer, that's really exciting to me, um, is, to, is to host, as I'm saying, educational events, farm tours, farm dinners, um, and folks who just come by the tasting room as well to host them on the farm, on the vineyard, um, to create more experiences, mm-hmm. um, I think is, is, a, is a really exciting direction that Trune is going. Um, again, just with the transparency, our desire to share our knowledge, our mistakes um, openly and transparently um, means inviting in you know, researchers. You would collaborate with OSU um, currently on a bunch of studies Um, We're doing microbiological assays and and using um, a a firm in California for that. Um, All of the soil testing that I talked about and the long-term soil health monitoring is really exciting. These sort of collaborative research efforts um, I think will hopefully provide, again, just better understanding and appreciation for how these practices, whether they're specifically biodynamics in the preps or whether they're more of where there is that overlap between regenerative and biodynamic farming, um, in regard to you know no-till and and composting and animal integration, all these things are that are um, you know similar across the certifications. Um, yeah, the bringing out more people to the vineyard and getting to share the experience, the aesthetic beauty, the serenity, and the peacefulness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is uh, of, the, of just these territorial views of the mountains. Um, is just, it's, it's been such a fabulous place for me to get my feet wet in these first five months and to really look to the future in which I get to share with everybody else who comes to visit, regardless of your experience, whether you're in the wine industry, whether you're just a, a consumer, whether you're growing, or whether you're just interested in, you know, meeting our guardian dogs. Um, regardless of what brought you to the farm, I think there's a real opportunity to, um, to maybe slow down from the craziness of daily life um, and enjoy a glass of wine that represents place so distinctly, enjoy the views, enjoy the environment, and hopefully learn something through the process, too, to become inspired yourself.
1: When it comes to that last part, the education process obviously a big part of your background and a big part of what you hope to do. Um, I'm curious about uh, their receptivity from consumers in that in regard. If if people if people are seeking you out from a biodynamic perspective, that's one thing, but if they're just coming to drink a glass of wine, uh what's the reception like for that and and yeah. how do you improve it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think You know, I I don't work in the tasting room on a daily basis, but our office is upstairs above the tasting room, and so I pass through it every day and get to meet people all of the time. Um, Most of the time, it's people asking me, oh, do you work here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm the director of agriculture. I kind of do everything between the vines. And that that inevitably kicks off a conversation where I have found that everybody who's sitting in our tasting room, regardless of group size, has questions. They seem very enthusiastic to learn. And whether that is about Troon specifically or biodynamics at large or just about wine or culture, um, I feel like there is a real opportunity specifically in a tasting room or at a vineyard in that sort of setting in which you, you can go deep with people. Um, I think the nature of, of biodynamic preparations has historically been really challenging um, and even. Uh, there's a perception, maybe, of elitism that that sort of you know you have to have this so many years of practice and study and contemplation before you can even talk about what these preps mean and why they were chosen and why the you know all of this complexity. Um, but I think that that um, again, just by immersing yourself in that context, um, facilitates oftentimes really beautiful conversations. Um, that you know i would always tell people that you know if you want to learn about biodynamics like let's get a biodynamic bottle of wine and like let's sit down let's actually talk about this for a while because it's hard to just give that little sound bite of this is biodynamics or this is preparation 501. it's difficult and if you try to consolidate it down to just one sentence oftentimes people either disregard it as you know some folks at davis did or will um you know, uh, not understand the depth of it or the importance of it. Um, so I think it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile, you know, study or practice. Just like I said, your yoga practice will get better every day of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that your my understanding of biodynamics has grown with my ten years of practicing and prep making and all of that. Mm-hmm. And with it, my appreciation, my ability to communicate it, um, which is. Constantly growing and, and still evolving absolutely. I still feel like a baby in, in, the, in terms of looking to my mentors and other folks who have been doing this for decades, or mm-hmm. you know, um, these are the real masters that I look up to um, and hope to emulate in my own day. Well, on that note,
1: as um, is look ahead for your own future, um, what are you kind of looking forward to both at Truen and beyond? What, what, is, what, are, what are some uh, future plans, future goals, future projects you're excited about?
2: Yeah. Um, at Truen specifically, um, this season is really exciting. The expansion of the garden and the livestock programs, um, tr- planting uh, hundreds of trees in the next two years is really exciting to me. Trees are, represent this just incredible ability to pull down atmospheric carbon and sequester it in the soil. Um, they have such longer lifespans, all perennial crops, vines included, um, have such a longer lifestyle and therefore greater impact in terms of carbon sequestration. And um, what is, what is the saying, you know, the best day, best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. Um, I'm really looking forward to planting trees at the vineyard and really setting up that that system with longevity. Um, so in the immediate future my you know my goals plans projects focus is really on the farm um, and the evolution of some of these systems um, And then I think broader than that, my work with JPI and really strengthening regional hubs and using biodynamic education and research as Uh, a a method as a pathway to not just sharing information but to truly healing the earth by nourishing ourselves and nourishing our landscapes um, creates, facilitates that connection as I kind of started out saying between healthy soil, plants, animals, people, communities, planet that becomes so clear when you begin practicing and understanding and appreciating and again, deepening that, that reverence for the field and that reverence for the community, for the workers, where your food comes from, the practices that were used to grow it, the health and the sustainability that it offers to us, not just as individuals, but as community members and global citizens. Um, I think there's a real opportunity, and, and I hope to engage in that, continue engaging and working in that intersection between people and, and, and you know, farms and communities to to really elevate our appreciation, respect for each other and for the land. Excellent. That's all the questions that I have for you, is there anything that I
1: didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover Mm -hmm. here today that we should have covered? Open mic, basically, to say what you need to say.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, thankfully, I feel like I've been on my soapbox pretty good. (laughs) You've asked me great questions to squeeze all the juice out of the relationship between soil microbes and healthy plants and people. And um, I think to me, just reiterating um, the importance of microorganisms in the whole system that help suppress disease and provide nutrition to plants and healthier plants and um, healthier diets, all of that goes back to those literally microscopic, underfoot, often forgotten about, sweep up off the floor and throw away in your garbage can as dirt. All of those microorganisms are the foundation of our water cycle, of our carbon cycle, of our nitrogen cycle. They're the basis of healthy plants in our entire ecosystem. Um, and we didn't even know about them until 100 years ago, not even. We didn't even know of their existence to both cause disease, but also as a basis of health mm-hmm. and of resilience in these complex systems. And I think um, I always try to make that really prominent when I'm giving farm tours and and preaching, as I feel about about soil health, um, is that it, it often it stems from these things that we can't even see, and it's hard sometimes, or, or maybe it's easy to just disregard or not have such reverence or appreciation for those things that are out of sight and underfoot, um, but I think it's really important to, in our practices and our daily lives, to, um, to maintain that sort of respect and reverence even for the smallest creatures as they have such a huge impact in, um, on, on us and on our planetary function. Um, now I'll step off my soapbox. <laughs> It's an excellent final answer, I appreciate that.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time, for your thoughts today, for your stories, and we'll go and let you off the hook.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University, with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.